Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13. 5, chapter 5, 12 to 13. We went through major parts of books in 1 Thessalonians. And in light of the day of the Lord, uh, Paul called us to live a sober life. The day of the Lord is coming and it's horrible for the unbelievers. And this is the joy uh, and joyful day for the believers. And therefore, Paul is encouraging us to live a holy, sober life. And then last week, we were encouraged by Paul's message that we must be the encouragers, not the discouragers. We must encourage people and build people up in faith. Build their faith up in Christ Jesus because nothing else encourages people rather than faith in Christ. That is it. You could bring a lot of gifts and a lot of promotions, but if they don't have gift of, of faith, nothing will encourage people. And today, timely message about how to have peace in the church. How to have peace in the church. Let's read, let's pray, and let's go to our passage. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. Just two verses. After Paul encouraged us to encourage one another, he says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Father, we pray that you bless our hearts, that this word would change our minds to change our hearts and encourage us to trust you and to live according to the word and help us that this word would make changes in our lives, that would not just register it with our brains, but also will affect our emotions and affects our will, that we're willing to obey and follow your instructions. Because without your word, we are lost. So bless the congregation, bless me, I pray in Christ's name, amen. The title of this message, How to have, Live in Peace in the Church. How to have peace in the church. Peace is a rare commodity. If you notice, for the last 150 years, there were more wars than in 6,000 years before. Why is that? It's not simply because we have more people to fight with, but because people do not know how to have peace. And yet, we want to have peace. If I ask you today, do you want to have peace? Do you want to have peace in your families? Yes, thank you. Some of you want to. Some of you just, you know, either not waked up. Or... Do you want to have peace in our church? Yeah, well, amen. Praise God. So, most of you want to have peace. Over... I don't think if I asked, do you want to have war in our church? Well, you would say no, right? Everybody wants to have peace in our church. But peace is easily shattered easily shattered. Something that we built for years could be shattered just in one moment. You know, it's interesting. The emotions are running high when we are watching our favorite sports team playing, whether they're losing or winning. But nothing compares to when your children are playing. Nothing, right? Then, then this old Olympics and NBA, just, they are just far behind. Your emotions are right there. And I remember when my boys were little and they were playing a Christian school basketball team. 
and they were competing with Christian other schools with boys' teams. And so everybody Christians that are in the arena watching their kids. And I remember, like one boy, he just fouled him, and the coach didn't notice. And I, and I want to say, hey, coach, what's, what's going on? What's up? Watch it. And he didn't do it. So I start, you know, remember that I have to have the testimony of Jesus before them. I don't have to yell. And then I want to encourage my son when he stole his ball. And I want to say, hey, hassle him, hassle him. But instead of hassle him, hassle him, I start yelling, tackle him, tackle him. And at this moment, everyone in the room want to tackle me. Like, what is this? You know me, I mixed up words, no, you know, easily. But I didn't want to say hassle, I, attack. I want to say hassle, but I just messed up. And that all my peace that I have was just gone in a second because someone offended my favorite player in the team. And so everyone wants to have peace, no conflict. And I truly believe that in this congregation, everyone wants the best for the church. I hope that you want to have peace. But I want to tell you that healthy relationship in families, healthy relationship in the church, healthy relationship in the country, they just don't come up like the spring flowers in the field. They just don't bloom right away. You wake up, you lay down in, in war at night, and you wake up, and peace doesn't happen. Peace doesn't just happen by itself. Peace can't just flourish without input from both sides. Peace cannot happen without the sacrifice. Someone has to sacrifice. And to have a true peace, both parties have to have some sacrifices. You know, when two children are fighting for the, for the toy, and one, pers- one child takes the toy, and all of a sudden there's no conflict in the room, it doesn't mean that there's a peace because one person who took the toy away, he's still proud, is not humble. And the other one who may give the toy, he might be still bitter. So there's a tension in the room. But we need to learn how to have a true peace of God, which he brought up through Jesus Christ. And Paul is calling the church here to have peace among one another. And this peace is not to achieve the peace because we do have peace of God because it was done through Christ Jesus. He paid on the cross and we submitted to him. We submitted our wills and our prize before him on the cross and he bought it. So we don't have to achieve and gain the peace. We just have to keep it. But it's interesting in this text as we read. There are a few observations that I want to make which is really weird when I was reading. It's kind of weird because this is a model church. The first observation is that Paul is speaking to the model church in any way that they love one another and they express their giftedness and they just evangelize everyone. But he talks to them in verse 13, live in peace with one another. He's calling the model church to have peace. He's not calling people on a basketball court to have peace, but in the church. And the proof that he's talking to the church is we know that whom he writes. In chapter 1, he says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. Notice that he's not talking to the elders alone. He said, elders, make sure that there is a 
peace in the church. He says to the church, have peace among one another. That's one surprising factor. Like what? Are you serious? Like if we're talking about somewhere outside of the, of the church, yes, but in the church? And that would be surprising for us a couple of years ago. Ha, the church have peace. Of course we do have peace, right? Until the December comes up and the, and the peace was blown up. Two years ago, we think that that was the passage for another church. We are a good church. We are a mature church. We could hold the peace, no problem, until December. And then the peace was shattered. And the effect of that we still have today. Number two, what is surprising is that Paul is not calling just between one another, but Paul identifies two groups of people here. Elders, leaders, shepherds, overseers, and the people in the congregation. And he said, you among yourself, please have peace. That is surprising. That is surprising that Paul addresses leaders and the congregation and said, well, you guys have peace among one another. Now, I do not know why. Maybe Timothy came and said, well, there's a crack in the relationship, maybe. But we know that this church is very young. And just imagine, this church is probably a few months old, four, five, maybe six months old. And just right before them that they were converted, they were in Jewish sect. They were Judaizers that lived by the law. And when Paul brought the message of the gospel and appointed elders to them, what kind of elders do you think they were? They were four months old elders. They were very fresh people. And the people perhaps said, well, listen, we're all ministering, we're all participating, we're all gifted, and Paul is praising us. And, and who are you, Jason, that you were just the leaders of the synagogue and you taught us just four months ago that we need to live by the law, and now you're teaching us that we need to live by the grace of God. Maybe who do you think you are that you're talking to us with such authority? And so perhaps that that was the crack in their relationship that Paul picks on this and he said, we appreciate and we, we, we appreciate you, but we request of you, brethren, that you will live in peace. So the point of this passage is really this. The main point is in your bulletin is that we maintain peace in the church when the flock and the shepherds are faithful to their responsibility. Because Paul says the way to achieve this peace is through to obeying to God's structure for the church. We're not reinventing the church. We're not making things up. We're just going to the scripture and say, who's supposed to do what? The text tells us that the structure is absolutely vital for the harmony of the, in the church. Christ already brought the peace, but now to maintain the peace, you have to know your place in the church. And it's like newly wed. If they come from the honeymoon, and the first day of their real life, they would start arguing who's going to cook and who's going to clean, who's going to go to work, and they won't have any idea who's doing what, there would be no peace. There would be conflict. But when they know their responsibility, there's a possibility for peace. And so Paul says... I plead with you. I plead with you. He starts with plead, but he ends up in verse 13 with peace. I plead that you would have peace. Now, how do we get here? Paul says that you have to understand 
each of you your responsibility in the church and follow them faithfully, obeying, obeying the Lord. And when you do that with the proper attitude, the peace is possible. And Paul does not come with a strong arm, but he says, we request, we plead with you. We implore you. We want you to have peace. I know you, you want to have peace, but we want you to have peace. Instead of coming hard on them, he said, we plead. And he says, we request the same word as Jesus is pleading with his father for the spirit to come upon us. He's pleading, but he's firm. Because this problem is not insignificant. Be at peace among yourself. It's not an insignificant thing. Because a little crack in the dam could burst all dam. A little fire could burn all the wood. A little argument could create huge problem and big split. I like how McDonald, the commentators, he said, the exhortation, be at peace among yourself, is no incidental insertion. The number one problem, I like how he said, the number one problem among Christians everywhere is the problem of getting along with one another. Every believer has enough of the flesh in him to divide and wreck any local church. Any believer has enough of the flesh in him to divide and wreck any local church. Only as empowered by the Spirit, we can develop the love, brokenness, forbearance, kindness, forgiveness that are indispensable for peace. And so as that church, a model church, need to be reminded that we should have peace among one another. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that peace is vital for our harmonial relationship. So what are the responsibilities of these two groups? There are two groups. Number one, the responsibilities of the flock towards the shepherd. How do we treat our shepherds? And then the second point would be, how do we treat as shepherds the flock? What are, what are mutual responsibilities? How do we come along with one another? What are what I'm responsible to do to you so that you will do to us? And for the flock, it's very, very simple. There's nothing complicated here in the text. It's simple. In verse 12, there's one thing. In verse 13, there's another thing. In verse 12, Paul says, we request of you that you do what? That you appreciate. That you appreciate those who labor diligently among you. Number one, Paul is asking, we want you to appreciate those who are above before you. And number two, in verse 13, he said, and that you esteem them very highly in love. Two things. Let's start with one. Paul says, appreciate those who diligently work among you. The way how to have peace in the church, from the congregational standpoint, peace with your elders, leaders, shepherds, is to first appreciate them. What does that mean, appreciate? The word appreciate in Greek means to know them. To know them. Now, you have to know people who are your shepherds by name. Right, if I ask people, it's like, who is your pastor? And they were just like that woman at the well with Jesus, like, well, I have no pastor. And I would want to say, like, yeah, you have no pastor. You had five before, but the one that you have is not pastor for you even now. Well, you do not know who your pastor. You didn't recognize. But it's far more than just know them by face or where they live, which is nice. Sometimes, you know, people ask me, what's my son's names after 15 years in the same church, well, that's, you know, that's there. You have to know who your pastor, how he looks like, and what's his name, and where he lives, and his needs, and stuff. But there's more to that. 
not just to know. The word to know means that to acknowledge them as they are your leaders. You see, you, could, you can know that Max is your pastor, but to know and to acknowledge him as a pastor is a different thing. To know that he's your pastor and checked out, comes here on Sunday morning and, and come out, he's, he's not, you don't put him as your pastor. But to recognize him as a pastor, that means that you see him, or Mike, or Tim, see him in this position. Pastor Steedman writes, he said, know them, recognize them, be aware of them, don't take them for granted. He said, I know of the churches where pastors are treated as hired servants. They are therefore respond to the whims of the board of the church or the vote of the congregation. They are treated with little or no respect and at times are severely mistreated. That is a shame. Here's the apostle is saying, get to know your leaders. Understand that they are people and do not ignore them. And there are people in the authority for you. Appreciate means to recognize pastors for what they're worth. Shepherds, leaders, are a gift for the church. They're not just a name on the board. They're not just a mouth who speaks the word of God to you. There are people who labor for your souls. Know your shepherds, meaning to put them in front and recognize them that they are your spiritual leaders. The idea is not to know them just by name, but to recognize that they have input in your spiritual life. If all you come and look for a Sunday morning sermon from the mouth that speaks, you're missing out. We have shepherds, the shepherd. A revealing question maybe for you, when you have a certain decision to make in your life, like a hard decision, I've, I've met it all the time, so I've, I've, I've seen it all the times. People come to us and say, well, we have decided to do this and this in a spiritual walk. So they just give us a fact. And we ask, who did you talk to? Did you talk to your pastor? No, did you, I talked to some friend. So that means that you don't recognize your pastor as the leader in any way, and you have put him on the same spot. But Paul says, recognize, know, appreciate your leaders. You know, they do not just happen to be leaders. Congregations do not make leaders. You yourself cannot make yourself a leader, a pastor, a shepherd. It's not from you. It's from God. If you remember the scripture in chapter 20, verse 28 in Acts, it says that it is the Holy Spirit who made you an overseer. The Holy Spirit, it is from God. But notice that he's not just one person. He says here that when you recognize them, you recognize those who diligently work for you. Those. You recognize people. There's not one man. There's no one man show anymore. The one man show alone gone. It was one man show before when Moses was on the scene. He is alone who's talking to God, and he brought the revelation to the people. But those times are gone. Prophets were the same way. They took to God, they came to God and get the message and spread around, and they were one-man show. Apostles were kind of in the same scenario where they have a direct revelation from God. But now, since the completion of the canon of Scripture, we have authority from the Scripture and was given the privilege for the people among you to serve you as elders. There's no one man. There's many men now. And you have to recognize them for 
who they are. They are in front of the flock, placed by God to serve you. The second thing that Paul is saying to the church is what? In verse 13, to esteem them very highly. To esteem them very highly in love. Let's take one by one, esteem. What does this esteem means? It comes from interesting word. Come from word lead out. Simply, if you literally translate this word, it says, well, lead out them highly in love. Now, that doesn't make sense. But when you put this in the context, Paul is, is saying that this word was used in Greek literature as generals lead armies to the victory. And when I was contemplating and thinking, that doesn't make sense. How in the world, like what a congregation would lead in what? But if you put it in context of your mind, you lead yourself in your mind to appreciate and to esteem these people because of their value. That's why we translated this into English to esteem them, to understand in your mind, to change your mind from perspective that these are just a bunch of people who are nobodies to say, God placed them for the purpose and I have to honor them because of their value. It's to lead your mind to thinking biblically about them. And it says very clearly how to esteem them, how to esteem them, just a little bit, just about the pay grade. It says very highly. There is superlative that says, like, there's no more, there's no way to express it more. Like if I want to say, I like it very much, I want to say, if I really like it, I will say, I like it very, very much. So this is Paul is saying that there's a high form of comparison imaginable. You want to place them at the highest place in your heart as much as possible. If you value something, you put it high. If you value your wife, you put it her, you put her above every other woman in the world. I hope you would do so, because you value so. If you have a pastor and shepherd that you acknowledge that he's your spiritual leader, so you put him high. And that is not my invention. This is what Paul says, esteem them very, very highly. There's a lot of people that I respect and esteem them, but Paul adds something. He said, esteem them very highly in love. Like, I, I, I esteem Donald Trump. Like, I, I, I honor him for what he does. But I don't love him. And that's not the case with the congregation, with the leaders. <laughs> you, it's not only just like, yeah, I understand where you are. Do your job or whatever. I even honor you for what you're doing, but I don't love you. There was really no relationship. Paul says, no, no, no. There are relationships. And let me tell you why. Like, I give you the reason. The reason why Paul is saying, because they're diligently work among you. That is why. That is why you love them so much and esteem them very hard. Because they are the one who able to work for your souls. Now, I want you to open this, uh, the Hebrews chapter 13. Please go with me there. Hebrews chapter 13. We've read this passage, verse 7, and we read verse, 13, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13. 13, sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. You're with me? And here's the reason why we should esteem our leaders, our shepherd, our elders highly. It's for your own benefit. 
It's for sure for your own benefit. Look, verse 7 says, remember those who led you. This word remember, recognize them. Remember, put them on the spot that you recognize that they're leaders. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. But in verse 17, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And he gives the reason again, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I want to mention two things here. You know, elders are given a high responsibility to work on your soul. This is the highest treasure that elders have in the church, your soul. And God placed us into this field of plowing and cultivating and watering and planting and building your soul. How do you value your soul? Well, this is the best you have. This is the, the greatest thing that you have, your soul. Bible says that out of the springs of your, le- of your heart, uh, the, the springs of life flow. So guard it with all your heart. Guard it above it all else. Your soul is what you have, and those people are working on it. Farmers are working on a field of corn or wheat or potato or whatever, and they care for that. I've been a farmer, and you care because you, you plow it, and you wait for the rain, and you plant it, and you cultivate it, and you want the crop to come, come out. You cultivate that ground. You work, and you pray for God that, that it would be producing ground. And the elders have this agenda to plow and cultivate your soul. That's what God says. They are watching over your soul. They are soul cares. And therefore, we should esteem them very highly because they're working on something very dear to you, on your soul. But there's also shepherds have a highest responsibility. And this responsibility, not just before the church. You know, when people hire elders and leaders the higher responsibility comes from God because they are accountable to God. They are watching for the souls of men so that they would be accountable before God himself. So that is a huge incentive for us. They're working on our hearts. They're praying for our hearts to grow. They, they pray that our souls will be taken care of. They preach in the word of God. They cultivate in the relationship they are talking to us. They bring in the word of God that sometimes steps on our toes, and it's not always pleasant, but it is good for our soul. It is good for our soul. To have leaders among you who care for your souls, it is good, and therefore highly esteem them. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to esteem those elders that never tell that they're sinners. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're above Somewhere else, there are sinners like you. We're sheep like you. Dumb, stinky sheep like you. And we need the encouragement, and we need the addressing of sin. But do it properly. Don't just go around in the church and say, oh, my pastor so and so and start gossiping. Don't do that. That's not going to help anyone. Anyone. You don't do that not just because you're afraid of being disciplined. No, just don't do it because the God doesn't like this. And if you have sin, come and address it properly. And we need this because of our stinking sinners, for sure. 
But nevertheless, God placed people into this relationship where they have to be some honor. Now, often talking about protecting the congregation from bad pastors, we had this experience. And we kind of interpret our lives starting from this experience. But we have to, we have to be careful. How do we build the church not based on our experience, but based on the word of God? But we rarely tell, talk about how that congregation abuses the pastors. And I tell you, that happens a lot more often. A lot more often. I just read a few statistics. Soul Shepherding survey reveals. Just, re, just listen. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would have leave their ministry if they could. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed and feeling depressed. 77% of pastors feel they do not have a good marriage. 78% were forced to resign from their church. 78% were forced to resign from their church. 63% of the, out of those 78 were forced twice, commonly because of conflict, church conflict. 80% of ministry spouses feel left out and appreciated in the church. 80%. 90% of pastors work between 55 to 75 hours per week. On average, seminary trained pastors last only five years in a ministry. Appreciate your leaders. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest preachers in the history of the church, greatest theologian in American history, the man whom God used as an instrument in great awakening in America, pastor of the same church for 23 years. For all those years, he ministered the word of God and shepherded people, bringing them to maturity. Yet people of his own church did not recognize him as the leader nor esteem him. And after 23 years of faithful ministry, 23 years of faithful ministry, they ran him out of the church and did everything they could to destroy his reputation so, not, so no other church would call him as pastor. He ended ministry with a dozen Indians preaching them to them the gospel and the love of God. Peace in the church often depends on faithfulness of each party. What is Paul calling you to do as a congregation? To recognize your leaders and to esteem them very highly in love. I said, well, that's good. There's no time left for what you're going to talk about the pastors. Now, we'll have time. What is the responsibility of the shepherds? What is shepherd's role? And it's, it's, it's interesting. It's very opposite. It's very opposite. As one elevate and acknowledge that this, for, through these people, that God is working through these people in our soul, and this is very good that we have them, and they're a gift of the church. On the other hand, the shepherds have never been prompt to think about themselves that they're high, that they're someone special, 
that there's something great. Because every time we see that Paul addresses people as shepherds, he always addresses not the title, but always the work. Always the work. And he said, your job as shepherd to maintain peace is to be humble servant. Don't care about the title at all. Care about the job. Three participles here that Paul says in verse 12. You see, he uses the, the description of the work and the job and the labor of people. And he says, these are three things how you promote peace in the church by being obedient to your responsibility. Number one, to labor very diligently. To work hard, number two, to lead, to have charge over them, to be in front of them in the Lord. And number three is to instruct them, instruct them with the word of God. The Bible is clear that the role of the elder, what the role of the elder is, but it never emphasizes the title. It always emphasizes the job. I heard a joke that a young, maybe it's not a joke actually, a young man came to a senior pastor asking, well, I want to be a pastor someday. Can you help me out? What do I do to become a pastor? And he asked him, like, why do you want to be a pastor? He said, well, I try to do other things, and I, try, I wanted to be a doctor, but I, then I realized it's a lot of work. Well, the pastor said, oh, you're in wrong business, brother. You're in wrong business. This is work, work, and work. Before you... Look at the responsibilities. You know, we have to recognize that it's impossible to be a shepherd if God's not making you a shepherd. God makes you a shepherd. You don't make yourself. The congregation doesn't make you your shepherd. God makes you a shepherd. Congregation helps to mature you and to shape you up and to recognize you. The congregation doesn't make you a shepherd. I like how John MacArthur says on this point. He says, I submit to you that even though we don't have apostles today to do that, elders, pastors, overseers, and leaders are still to be put in place by the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can raise up shepherds in the church. They aren't self-appointed like diatrophists who love to have the preeminence. They aren't appointed by popular vote. The popularity of godly shepherds in the church becomes known to the church because it is so obvious that they are holy, spirit-led, God-gifted who function in that role. We don't have apostles to identify them, but we do have mature godly pastors, elders to identify others. And even the congregation can assess and see. We don't make ourselves pastors. But if you are a shepherd, here's what you do to promote peace. You stop pointing at yourself and at your value. You don't. Let the people do that. You put your nose down and you work for the souls of people. It's the job of congregation to elevate their pastors, but not the pastors. The job of the pastors is to shepherd and to bring the flock to a better place. Pastoral work requires a lot of work, a lot of work. And the work that Paul says, the first thing that you do is that you labor hard. You labor hard. And the same word labor that Peter used when he said, teacher, we worked hard all night, but we caught nothing. Remember they were fishing? 
And he said, we work hard all night, but we cut. Now, we are exhausted. You want us to do this again? Paul was an, an example of diligent labor worker. In 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, For you yourselves know that you ought to follow our example because we did not act in undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not have been burdened to any of you. Hard work. Paul is exemplified this. He did it everywhere he went. He did it in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2 night. We remember, he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be burdened to any of you. It's hard work. And at, at day he preached, at night he, he built the tents. He made the tents. In Colossians, when he says, verse chapter 129, And for this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. In Ephesus, he says, therefore, be alert, alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. Paul worked hard on the souls of men, regarding whether they want to listen or not. Pastors might be example of hard work. First Timothy 5:17, Paul teaches, he says, the elder who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching, instruction is hard work. Many of you know that, that the messages, that, that they don't flow from heaven. Like you wake up on Sunday morning and you have the message ready. It's like, yeah. We work hard. And it's not only in the book. You work hard with people. You understand where they are. You try to lead them where they need to be. You just don't study the Word of God alone. You also know its context. It's hard work. Pastors are hardworking people who aim to build the church. Remember taking to one person who, is, uh, who asked me, why did I go to study theology? Remember I was calling to, to make a transcript of my previous school and and he asked me, the person asked me, well, I'll help you tell me where are you and what field you are. And I said, well, I'm studying theology right now. And his response was, but there's no money in this. And I said, well, that, that's not the definitive answer, that there's people in it. I remember one advice that person gave me a long time ago, and it's a good advice. He was not even Christian, but he said, Jan, money is nothing. People are everything. And he was on to something. Number two, what is the responsibility of the shepherd? Is to have charge. Is to have charge in the Lord. Church leaders are responsible to have charge over the church in the Lord. The word have charge literally meaning put in front or put above. Now, again, it's not emphasizing that we have such a great authority over the congregation, but it's simply saying that we are going in front of the flock. We're leading the flock. The shepherds are leading the flock. They have to know where they go. To have charge, meaning to be ahead, being direct, and denote managing, managing. 
putting before the flock, meaning that you are leading not only by your example, but also by your understanding where God wants you to lead. You're on the frontier on every aspect. If there is a heresy, you're the one who has to deal with this. If there's a sin in the church, you're the one who has to deal with this. If there's people hurting, you're the one who first who has to deal with that. You're on the frontier. If you remember, I brought an example of Eastern shepherding and Western shepherding, the difference between them. The Western shepherd get his flock from the behind with the stick and stone and dogs. And this is how he drives them. But the Eastern shepherd is the one who is in front and leading them by the voice. And yet he leads them. He not just stands and asks them, where do you want to go, sheep? He leads them. He's in front of them. He does it gently, kindly, but he needs to know where to go. And if you appreciate them and you esteem them, the sheep's response is to follow, is to follow. And that's the point here. You didn't appoint, it wasn't a point as a shepherd there to rule over everyone as lords in this world do. Because Jesus warned us, don't do that. Don't lord it over. Don't make your own priorities. Study the word. Know what the word says. Teach people. This word, charge, over them. In other words, manager. If you are a manager at work, you know what that means. You can't just yell at people. You can't just make them do whatever you want. You do what your company told you to do, and that's all. You have clear regulation. Same thing here. We are in the Lord. Whatever the Lord wants us, our authority is very, very limited. Limited by the Word of God and by His authority. We're limited in our pastoral authority because it says it have charge in the Lord. In the Lord. And God is requiring it for, from shepherds to be faithful to the Lord and to his word. To the Lord and to his word. And when there's a distinction between the willingness of congregation or desire of congregation and it does contradict the scripture, then the scripture wins. If there's a matter of preference, it doesn't matter then. We don't have the authority to wield over in your hearts. Whatever house you want to build, where you want to move, what job you want to take. But there is a biblical authority in whatever church must look like. Pastors are limited just by spiritual authority to lead people in spiritual matter. We have zero authority to tell you any other things that you want to do. But on the other hand, anything spiritually, there's all authority. There's all authority. And it's good. And it's for people. And number three, it's to instruct. It's to instruct. Instruct them. That's how we promote peace, by knowing what we're supposed to do. If a shepherd does not want to do, and he just a place here at the pulpit, he has no idea, then there's no peace. It would be chaos. Everybody's going to do whatever they want. And it was like judges, exactly. Everybody was moved by their own ideas, and there was no ruler among them because there were no king. And God says, through Paul, says, you have to instruct the church. <laughs> the word instruct, nuthetheo, meaning to, to change their minds, to put something in their minds. And that implies that the congregation and the people needs to be changed in their minds. 
that they're not arrived. We're not arrived. We're not mature congregation. We have long way to go, long way to go. And therefore, we need the scripture, not just to encourage and just to remind us, like, yeah, I know this, pastor. We already heard this. Okay, good. No, but to change your life. The point of the sermon, the point of the Bible study, the point of, of any study when you talk Bible to one another is to change. Otherwise, the Bible has no point. It's not just to put in your intellectual files like, oh, we know about humility now. That's good. I know it written. It's written in second, uh, second chapter of Philippians. Good. What's next, brother? Now we're talking about joy. I'm going to file the joy. How do you do it? And the job of the pastor and the shepherds, and you too, is to come along and say, well, how, how are we going to do it? How, how, how are we going to be humble here? Let's talk Bible. And this is the favorite word for counselors, because this is what counselors do. They, they change minds. They bring people to repentance. They bring people to change their ideas into the God's ideas. You know, I, I think about myself like the Winnie the Pooh. You know, Winnie the Pooh is stuffed with sawdust. There's so many sawdust in my brain and in my fleshly thinking. There's like fleshly thoughts. There's so much that I need to replace that I need the Word of God. And I need other people to tell me that. It's like, yeah, that is the sawdust. This is just, this is the fleshly thing. You need to substitute it with the godly thought. That's what the nuthetheo mean. And the, the word that is often used that instruct, it's actually admonish. It's actually admonish. Instructing, meaning admonish. And it, it kind of has a little bit of negative tone because when we admonish someone, it's not always pleasant because there's something is wrong. And you, you want to do it lovingly and gently, but you can't go over the hump and say, well, there is a problem and we need to deal with this just can't smooth it over and say, well, nice day, everything is good. There's admonition, and admonition steps on our toe, and it hurts. And who do you shoot first? You shoot the messenger because, like, wow, I don't like you. But you don't like you, uh, a messenger, because you don't like the message, because you don't want to change. And we're all in the same boat, and that's why Paul says that the how to promote peace is not just to say, Good guys, you're so mature, you're so godly, go in peace and do the same. Well, Paul did this to this moment, but then he said, admonish. And he teaches us. And he teaches me because we desperately need change. We desperately need change. When a shepherd sees the flock goes astray to the cliff, he not just say, well, okay, bye-bye now. Things fine. He goes and admonishes the sheep. Do it lovingly, but that's his job. The job of the shepherd is to admonish, and it's not always pleasant. But that is what promotes peace. The recognition of your spiritual leaders is very important by the congregation. Lift them up. Understand that they are placed by God for your benefit. And then lowering yourself as a shepherd, understanding that you're nose to the ground and you're serving people and it's not pleasant. And that you want to resign many, many times. 
If you don't want to resign from shepherding ministries at any point of your life, you, you didn't get it yet. There's so much stress and so much struggle. And yet God placed people there. Brothers and sisters, we maintain peace in the church when flock and the shepherds are faithful to their responsibilities before the Lord. Peace never just happens. If you are looking for a church that has peace, know that peace has been achieved there and maintained there by heavy labor of love, by people doing what they're placed to do. You would never see peace if there's no love. Peace is actually is the fruit of love. You have never seen anything like any family, any company, any church, that you come there and you say, well, we have peace, but we don't love one another. It just doesn't happen. If you don't love, it will come out as a strife. It's just a matter of time. The church can only win when we can have peace. Peace never just happens. Peace always achieved, maintained. Peace always requires some sacrifice. As Jesus sacrificed as the Prince of Peace for us, and we sacrifice our pride before him, and we have peace and peaceful relationship with God, then there is a possibility to have peace in the church. There is hope for us. What promotes peace in the church? When everybody loves to do what they've been assigned to do. We're faithful to what God told us to do. When congregation recognizes these leaders as God's gift, support them financially, follows their instruction, esteem them highly in love, there's hope for peace. When the leaders don't elevate themselves in their position, but working very hard for the souls of men, with humility, honesty, and speak the word of God in people's life, only then there's hope for peace. So I want to encourage church I encourage shepherds, follow God-given responsibility. Take a breath, relax, stop striving. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and see that his peace is able to give you peace in any situation. No need for strive, no need to fight for peace. The Prince of Peace, Shalom, is here. Father, we thank you for teaching us. We're people that easily disturbed, losing our peace, and with peace goes everything, joy, love. And I pray that you would encourage us to trust you that you're the one who gives the rules to the church and not us. Help us to trust you. And as you said in Psalm 4610, stop striving and know that I am God. We do trust you, that you have sovereign will for our lives. I pray that you give us peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.